You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode number 82. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Here we are with another episode of Second Breaks. A weekly podcast where we explore all the ways that we can make a career move and thrive in this changing world of work. My name is Lou Blazer, your host and a fellow second breaker, and really grateful that you are here and that you're letting me share a part of your week with you, even if it's just for a few minutes today. I have a new guest to introduce to you today. Her name is Denise Walsh. Uh, Denise started her professional life as a clinical psychologist. It was the career path that she had originally chosen for herself. But after working at a local mental health organization for several years, she realized that it wasn't exactly the path that she wanted to be on after all. In this episode, Denise and I talk about why she left what was quote-unquote the safe career path, the solid path, to create a business with her husband. Denise shares what it was like for her in the beginning and her big aha moments that helped her build a successful career in direct sales. If you're a frequent listener, you will know that I often ask guests to share their favorite book on the show. And Denise graciously talked about three books plus an audiobook that had made such an impact on her and her career. They're all great books, all of which are now on my Kindle, and I'm excited to get to them. Now, before we get on the show, I want to first invite you to join me in my upcoming webinar, Plan Your Next Career Move, which will be happening on Wednesday, February 20th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. This webinar is perfect for you if you have been wanting to make a job or a career move, but haven't been able to pull the trigger and make it happen. To get all the details and to save your spot, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash webinar. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. I grew up and, you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My, my dad was an accountant and I was in the mindset, right, that you get a job and you stay there for 30 years and then you retire. And so that was kind of the path I expected. I was a camp counselor for four summers throughout college. And I think it was there that I got the bug to pour belief into people and to you know, like you, when I was working with foster kids as an example, and I was like, these kids don't know how amazing they are. And, you know, they're put in situations that they didn't choose. And I felt like I want to help people know how awesome they are. Right. And so I got my master's in clinical psychology because I thought that that would be the way that I could best serve the world. And I was excited about it. You know what I mean? I was excited. I was like ready to go to go conquer the world to like help make an impact and make a difference. And then I got my first job. <laughs> <laughs> and let's be honest, like the corporate world, my um, my first job was in a local community mental health. And it was more about policy, paperwork and procedure than it truly was about people. And I went through what they call a quarter life crisis. <laughs> where I was like so excited to get my first job. I had, you know, been in six years of college for this. And, you know, of course we celebrated and we went out to dinner and we all the things. And then all those dreams that I had really slowly started to die. And I was like, I don't think I can do this for 30 years. 
but because that was I was that's what I was taught, I didn't know what else to do. So I like stayed in this space of restlessness for about five years until I finally made a change. At that time, you were employed in a as a you know in the clinical psychology space, but part of a company. But you weren't necessarily working with clients directly. Did I get that correctly? Well, I was at Community Mental Health, so I was working at. Uh, so, but, which basically means I was working for the government, working with those who had no insurance or Medicare, Medicaid primarily. I worked with clients. I had about 80 clients mm. and led about seven groups. I led an anger management group, depression, one with schizophrenia and bipolar, a trauma group. Like I was fully engaged in clients. But the problem was, is the system I was working in really couldn't help them. You know, like they, one of the, when somebody came in having a, a tr like a tricky time, the first question I had to say was, what type of insurance do you have? And then I had to do, you know, hours of paperwork afterwards. And so the environment really wasn't conducive to feeling like it was actually being helpful. And honestly, a lot of times the clients were not wanting to be helped, you know, so they were in and out of jail. It was just really a burnout type experience. <laughs> right, right. So this idea that you had that you were going to make an impact wasn't really translating. No, I, I yeah, I, I had all these big dreams and maybe they were naive, but I was like excited about it, you know, and, and then they slowly started to die. And I started to feel like, well, I guess this is my lot in life. I guess this is just my piece of the pie. I guess this is just what I'll have to do for the next 30 years. Right. And I also had a... I had a misconception because, you know, for a while I was working with a therapist and I wanted to work with a therapist. Yeah. Nobody forced me to work with a therapist. I was actually the one saying, I want to go see a therapist. But you were saying some of the people that you were working with weren't necessarily going there on their own. And that's a totally different scenario. Totally different. Right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, a lot of them are court ordered, um, you know, and it was... They were, I would always find, like I had some really special clients too. I would always find a few people that I really connected with. There was a, a couple teenagers that I worked with from the age 14 to 18. And I like loved working with them. And I really felt a shift. And, and they were the first ones in their family to graduate or high school. So it was really, there were some special moments. But at the end of the day, I often was overworked, underpaid, and like drained. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Because I didn't know what else to do, I think sometimes we stay where we are, even if we don't like it, because it's comfortable. Like, I remember applying for other jobs, and I even started seeing clients at my church, like, as a kind of a private situation. But I remember thinking, at least I know the paperwork here, you know? Like, what if it's worse somewhere else? And so I really, I, I stayed, uh, I think, far, the, far longer than I should have. And there's also the element of it that, because I hear it too with the people that I work with is that they, you know, they studied this thing. They put money, they're, they're invested in making it work because that's their degree. They, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You put a lot of time, like, like sweat equity and, and income, right? Money into, <laughs> into this career. And yeah. So then you started, you started feeling like, I don't know if I can do this um, for 30 years. And so how did the idea of, uh, doing something different, like leaving the field altogether, um, come up. So crazy. So my husband, on the other hand, he was the aerospace engineer. 
and prior to our business. And he's always been an out of the box thinker. You know, he's always been wanting to do a startup or looking into something like franchises or whatever. Yeah. And poor me, I was like, whatever, Brandon, you're so weird. (laughs) (laughs) But he was the one that understood multiple streams of income. He understood that owning your own business is the best way to leverage your time and things. And so we met our sponsor in our network marketing company at our small group at church. And it just, we were friends first and we started to hear the stories of what the business was doing for them. We, in fact, got to know the CEO. He lived in our town as well. And my husband played basketball with him and things. And so we were like, if we're ever going to do something like this, to know the integrity of the company, to know, like to be excited about the products anyway, and to be a part of it before really anybody knows about it, like we might as well give it a shot. So we, I became a customer, and then two weeks later, when Brandon started understanding what we had our hands on, he we upgraded to become distributors. Gotcha. Could you talk a little bit about, to, for you know, for the folks who don't understand the, the terminology, what is network marketing? Yeah, I didn't know what it was either when I started. But basically what it is, it's the, the product that we started with was is a body wrap. And it's about two feet long and one foot wide. It tones, tightens, firms the skin. It's like an at-home spa treatment. And when the CEO and founder of the company found the wrap, they thought it could be marketed in a couple different ways, right? You could take a product and put it in a store. You can take a product and put it on a billboard. And you could take a product and have a celebrity endorsement. Or especially with a product like what we had, where it's really word of mouth because people are like, wait, what did you just say? It tones, tightens, and firms, what? That the, that normal like it's word of mouth. So basically, the company finds the products, gets everything, ships it, all of that, and we're the marketing department. So we go out and we sign up customers and distributors, and then we get a kickback on everything that they purchase, and we get to work from home, and we don't have to worry about logistics, we don't have to worry about legal, we don't have to worry about all the overhead. We just basically network, market, and and spread the word. And so now we have team members all over the world in um, in Australia, New Zealand, Europe. Um, we actually just opened in Japan, and I have client calls tomorrow with people over there to help us open up that market. So it's an amazing way to build an income from home with corporate kind of taking the heart right, stuff. right. So you are not in charge of, or you don't, you're not looking for the products, right? Right. They do, yeah. They, they, they do, the, do research, the research. They do all that yep. stuff. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. It doesn't sound like when you went into this field that you had like sales or marketing experience yet or training even I don't know you, yeah. you tell me so how did you make that transition because it's like oh my god I don't know I don't know anything about sales or marketing you are so right <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> and I remember telling Brandon I thought should I go back to school for business yes. because that's all I knew was school you know so and he was like um no and then there's I, I had to learn it I had to learn it and I remember looking left like I would look at all these people who were quote-unquote successful and I thought I needed to be more like them and 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 I I remember talking to Brandon about it one time and and he said you know you've always been a good friend just do that and I really realized, like, I already had strengths to connect with people. I mean, that's psychology, right, is to ask questions and get to know people and solve a need and help them grow. And I was like, oh, I really do already have skills that I can use and apply to this business. And so 
I feel like when I really owned my gifts or my strengths and my passions, I could thrive here too. So it didn't come fast, um, but it, but eventually I figured it out. Of course, there's a lot of psychology in marketing. There is. How do you get someone to, to say yes, you know, to say, you know what, this is going to help me and I can do this too. And, and Brandon, my husband is a digital marketer. So he did a lot of, which he was all self-taught as well. Um, and then I really just got to spend a ton of time building the team and really helping coach and train, which again, brought me back to my roots. You know, what do you want? Why do you want it? And what's getting in the way from you getting there and helping to create that roadmap. So the nice thing about this type of business is you can work it on the side and build it while you're still working. So we worked our business and our jobs. Now we didn't have kids, which takes it a whole nother level. So we were able to do it nights and weekends and really work our business in our downtime. And we built it to five figures a month. And then we were able to quit our jobs. But we were still scared. You know what I mean? We still were scared because there's something secure about the job, uh, which isn't really true, but you feel that way. And so we had to work through that. We had to say, well, the worst thing that could happen is we have to go back to work. And the worst thing that could happen is, but when I was at work feeling like I was wasting time, like I could be spending time building my business and that was going to take me much further than my job, I knew I had to make a shift. How long did you say from the from the point in time that you started something on the side to when you were finally able to leave the quote unquote nine to five? Three years. And your husband too, I, I suppose. He both, okay. Yeah, we both left. He left first. I don't really know why how that happened, but he left first. I left six months later. So when you were making this uh, transition, what, was, what were the reactions of the people around you, your family, your friends? Were they like, why would you leave your quote unquote solid career versus this so unstable or unknown? Or were they all sort of like, yeah, go for it? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think when we first started the business, people were like, um, you guys are weird. Like, what are you doing? You know, that's so different. And so, you know, there's just a lot of people don't quite understand it. So we we did wrestle with that within our family. But three years later, when we quit our jobs, they all joined our team. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> You had converts. <laughs> yeah, we did. They were like, oh, I guess it does work. Okay, so let's hang out. <laughs> so looking back, do you remember sort of like what were the main challenges, if any, that you faced right around the time that you were transitioning to this new role? And what uh, what helped you, you know, yes. with those awesome challenges? Question. Yeah. I absolutely had um, lots of and most of them are mental, right? Because what we do, like the skills can be learned and you try and you see what works and you keep walking and keep taking action. There are the biggest aha moments were when I like had to really realize that I could do it because I would look at people around me and I would say, good for you, but can I do that? You know, I'm not a nurse. I don't know a ton about products. I'm not I mean, I was 26 too. Like, who's going to believe me? And who, you know, like there's just things like that, that you just, I, I doubted myself. I didn't really, I didn't know if I had the skills or if I had to, had the confidence. Um, on a scale of one to 10, I would say my leadership when I started this business was probably like a four. Like I was a really hard worker 
tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, that's what we're, I mean, I spent all those years in school. That's what we're taught to do is like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so thankfully I surrounded myself with people who could cast vision for me and help pave the way for me. And I had to learn to create and cultivate my own vision. So the aha moments were like, oh, I already have the skills. I can do this. I don't need to become someone else to be good at this. I can just become more of who I am and be good at this. Um, and then the long-term game, you know, with any sort of business, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I had to really develop that, uh, the EQ, as they say, the emotional quotient of um, keeping the vision strong, even when it feels hard. So does the company provide like on the job, like train sales marketing, like that kind of to support to kind of help you get on your feet? Yeah, they do. They do. The problem is, is you're still your own boss, you know? So it's like they can provide the training, but I still have to put it in my calendar. I still have to decide to do it. And so, and 12 years ago, to be honest, like we were the ones that kind of created the training. <laughs> they didn't have a ton, like we were the pioneers a bit. And so now there's a lot more training than there used to be. But I still, I still had to be the one that actually did it because nobody was hounding me down saying, hey, did you get this done yet? Hey, did this happen? Hey. And so Brandon and I had to hold ourselves accountable. So the company, you're not actually employed by the company. No. Nope. You your own business. Gotcha. Yes. Yep. So we get a 1099 at the end of the year and we have tax write-offs and we, yeah, we have a, we have people that we pay and they, you know what I mean? Like it's now we're our own entity. Got it. Got it. And you work with your husband in this business. Yeah. So how is that like? The cool thing about our working relationship is we're very different in terms of our skill set. Like he is really good at tech. He know he got us ranked on Google. He can run an ad and it gets like a million views. I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like he can get us traffic and then I could work with the people. So we never really crossed paths a ton in what we were doing, meaning I didn't have to be like, Brandon, did you get this done yet? Brandon, what are you working on? And we didn't, we got to brainstorm together and implement together, but we didn't step on each other's toes because we were both doing you had, like you had your own um, area of yeah. focus or like who's in charge of what kind of thing. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. And, and so it's been fun to brainstorm. And now we've got two little boys who only know two work from home parents. So obviously we're, we're still working. But we can pick our boys up from school. We can take a day off if we need to or go to the doctor's appointment. And it doesn't, you know, it's much more flexible than what we're, we're used to. They're going to have a very different perspective about work uh, from you, for example, compared to you because you're, you know, your upbringing. And so they're familiar with my parents work from home. <laughs> and they honestly, they probably have not quite idea what we do, that we go to parties and we we do videos and we travel and we you know I don't know it's it's funny to think but I had read somewhere that you said this and I was wondering if you would mind like sharing your thoughts around this but I thought you said something like we could use jealousy or that feeling of you know jealousy as a motivator uh for success and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that because normally people are like, oh, jealousy, don't stay away from that. It's not a good thing. It's a negative feeling and that kind of stuff. So jealousy, what I've learned is a lot of times it's typically when you're comparing yourself to someone else, right? And you're saying you wish that 
you had what they had, did what they did, experienced what they did, um, look like they do, you know, things like that. And so when, when I feel this way myself, what I've learned through the years is that it can, it really just means that they're making that thing more of a priority than I am. And so if I feel jealous about that, then that means it's important to me and I'm not making it a priority. And so it can be a little bit of a gut check. Like, for example, one of my friends started a podcast and I was like, what the freaking heck? I've been wanting to do that for years. And then I realized that means I should do it. You know what I mean? And so I started my podcast last year and have been running it all year long. And so I used it as a way to identify a priority that I wasn't taking seriously. That is awesome. That's great reframe. So if we are feeling that tinge, you know, when yeah. we're looking at someone or hearing someone's, you know, achievements or whatever it is that they're doing, it's a signal that that whatever it is, is something that's probably we find important and that we should probably be looking to prioritize as well. Yeah. I mean, if you think of somebody who's fit and healthy and you look at them and you're like, oh, I wish. Well, then that could be a cue that you could make help being healthy a bit more of a priority, right? So then you put it on your calendar or you reverse engineer it or you start to set a goal in that area that maybe you've been, uh, um, what's the word, procrastinating Procrastinating, on. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is definitely much better than feeling awful about yourself or right. like resisting the other person. Resisting is not the word, but like, you know, like uh, being pissed off or yeah. unhappy about the other person. Yeah. You know, that yeah. negative feeling that you feel for the other person that you are, you know, jealous about or envious about. Yeah, because it usually has nothing to do with them, you know? And and that's always, pretty much always the case. Whenever we have a tinge, it's a, a good opportunity for us to be like, all right, why is this bothersome to me? You know, why is this bugging me so much? What is it that I really want? And then we kind of work and identify that. And as uh, somebody who's trained in clinical psychology, you know what you're talking about for sure. <laughs> People ask me all the time, do you still use your degree? And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so two more questions, if you don't mind. So one of them is like, if you have a book that you've read fiction, nonfiction, either way, that's made an impact on you that you wouldn't mind recommending. Absolutely. So the, there's three books that come to mind um, and then one audio. So I just got a flood of things that came to my mind. Okay. So the first one is Compound Effect. I read that by Darren Hardy um, early on in my career, and it really just focuses on the one the one big takeaway, right, is the 1% change, is that those 1% habits will take you in a completely different direction. And so the compound effect was something that I really loved at the beginning of my business. Um, since then, I've read lots and lots of books. I mean, I mean, but the ones that stand out right now are The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Ooh. So yeah, so I, I read that book. And one of them is come is like act as if one of the principles, right? And in that book, he talks about doing a come as you will be party where you pretend like it's five or 10 years down the road. And you all act as if you've accomplished all of these dreams and goals that have been laid on your heart and things. And so I've done that party several times with our team throughout the last three years. And it really is so much fun. And it cements those dreams 
like in our heart. And it's really been cool. So success principles. And then the power of I am by Joel Olstein really taught me how to create and cast vision for myself, speaking as if it's already done and claiming victory, uh, claiming what I want, even if I don't see it yet mm. is the best way to like begin seeing it. So that was really helpful. And then throughout our, uh, when we hit the top of the company, one of the audios I listened to every day for 30 days that year was the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale. And it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's free on YouTube. And he's from like the 50s or 60s. He's got this low, deep, like soothing voice. And he specifically talks about you become what you think about. You know, like you really become what you think about, think about who you want to become, and then go create that. And so when you're going for a goal or you're doing something and it feels hard, you have to choose where do your mind, where your mind goes. And, and those books and that audio specifically helped me to really stay focused on what I wanted instead of the fear. Brilliant. I love those books. Thank you so much for sharing. And so Denise, tell us where people can find you online or in, you know, our social media spaces. Where can we find more about you and where can we follow you? Yes. Yay. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram at the Denise Walsh and um, uh, denisewalsh.com. I've been over the past few years, when you experience any sort of success, people start asking you, right? Like, what did you do? What did you do? Tell me what you do. Tell me what you do. And so I started creating some materials to help because I know that I can only talk to so many people at one time. So I do have a freebie that I'd like to offer. And it's really a, a, a like a detailed time management, putting your priorities on the calendar, asking for help, getting clear on what you want, reverse engineering, all of that. And you can go to denisewalsh.com slash action to receive that free PDF download. So denisewalsh.com slash action. And then once you know what you want, you got to do something every day. And so because of that, I created the Dream Life Daily Journal and that's available on Amazon. And that's been a really fun thing that just came out a few months ago. That's like a physical journal? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. cool beans. I'm always collecting journals. So I'm going to check that out. So also you mentioned that you have a podcast. What's your podcast about and what is the name? It's called Dreamcast. And it, it, it's about that pivot, the one you mentioned today. Like there's so many people who stay stuck because even if they don't like it, they know it. And so I'm so interested in those who find the courage to take that step out. And so um, a lot of people who've been entrepreneurs and the ups and downs along the way, um, you know, so a lot of really cool one of my sayings is you can live a dream 10 life in all seven areas at the same time, but you do only focus on one in order to create that momentum, right? So we've got people that in the health field and relationship field, and they talk about living, you know, a dream 10 life in that, in that area of life sometimes too. So it's really fun. Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely check that out. And I'll include the, those links, including the link to uh, your freebie, but also the link to your podcast on the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. So fun. So Denise, thank you so much for sharing your career journey and really your life story with me this afternoon and with us. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been so fun. That wraps it up for this week's episode. You will find the show notes at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 8 
too. You will also find there the link to the webinar, Plan Your Next Career Move, on February 20th. I would love to see you there, so don't forget to sign up. And hey, my friend, if you like this podcast and you're a frequent listener, I would love it so much if you would give us a rating on iTunes. This helps tremendously. And I would also so appreciate it if you would tell your friends about the podcast too. Speaking of friends, I would love for us to connect on Facebook or Instagram if you happen to hang out in these places. You can pretty much find me at Second Breaks across the social media land. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. I will be back with a new topic to help you move forward with your career goals and step into the future that you want. In the meanwhile, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans.